Hello and welcome to the International Schools Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Taylor, and on the podcast, we discuss all aspects of technology and life in international schools, with new episodes live every two weeks. We focus on people who are currently working in schools, and we talk about life in their current country and dive into some specific topics. The podcast is brought to you by Acer for Education. People always ask what Chromebooks we recommend and what Windows laptops we recommend, and after trying literally all of them, we always recommend Acer. If you'd like to get more info and try out some devices, please just go to gg.gg forward slash Acer Education. That's gg.gg forward slash Acer Education, and we'll get right back to you. Also, the podcast is brought to you by Apps Events. We're a Google partner. We work all around the world. We've just got one piece of new information right now. This is in, in January 2021. We're a G Suite Enterprise for Education partner. That's Giuseppe. This is a bunch of premium tools available to people using Google at their schools. We can help you get set up with a free one-month trial. So please check out the link in the show notes and we'll do that right away. And now, on to the interview. Hi, welcome to the International Schools Podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be talking to Lawrence uh, Tijani. Uh, I've known Lawrence for quite a while. And he's an interesting uh, guy because he was a former teacher, um, did some IT roles at schools, and then became an entrepreneur. I've worked with him a lot at at our Google events, uh, but he also does a bunch of other things. So I'm keen to know Lawrence's story and also how he juggles all these different projects, nonprofits and different things. So Lawrence, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me. Well, so, um, so Lawrence, I mean, it'd be good to talk about your background. I know a little bit, uh, you know, I know you grew up in South London. What, um, you want to talk us a bit through what, what your sort of background is and before you got into education? Okay, yeah. So grew up in South London, Bermondsey, um, and went to school actually in Bermondsey as well. Um, and didn't do great at school. <laughs> Wasn't the most... Yeah. Studious student, um, actually failed all my GCSEs and had to go on to college to resit them. And I think actually failing my GCSEs um, kind of set me up for life and actually taught me about resilience as well. How were your parents? Were your parents must have been pretty, uh, were they pretty annoyed about it or did they take it pretty well? <laughs> um, so I come from a Nigerian background, so um, mm. they didn't take it well. And, yeah. you know... I felt absolutely awful, um, particularly for my mum, because she came over to the UK from Nigeria with nothing and, you know, sacrificed her dreams to put opportunities on the table for myself. And at that young age, I didn't really understand that and took, yeah. you know, the opportunities for granted. So, yeah. yeah, it was the first time where my mum didn't shout. It was just that look of disappointment and you know when a parent looks at you disappointed it, it's the hardest thing to accept you yeah, know you rather they shout at you or something but they were just like okay you know yeah yeah <laughs> so you went to like a, a like a sixth form college or just a, a different college to, to retake them is that right so yeah went to a sixth form college um that was located in southwest london and even that um experience of enrolling kind of shaped the teacher that I wanted to be um, because on enrollment day, um, I had to go, go up to the desk and ask um, to enroll. Now, there was this gentleman on the other side of the table. I call him a gentleman now because I'm, I'm a bit more mature and older and, you know, can take yeah. that. 
Um, but he looked at my results and then said, took a sigh and was like, I don't think education's for you. Maybe yeah. you should go and do something with your hands. And that's not me knocking anyone who, who's got a trade or anything like that. But what that showed me was I was put into a box straight away. There was no context of, was there a reason behind I got these results? It's just that I saw the, yeah. they saw these grades and was like, this is where you need to go, essentially. So I had to fight to actually resit my exam on GCSEs. Yeah, and, and, and I guess they let you, and you, you, did you do A-levels or something after that? You did you stayed at the same place, did you? Yeah, so I reset my GCSEs. Um, I did extremely well in them. Um, so it wasn't about not being able to do it. It was just a lack of applic- application in the school. Yeah. And, you know, just being a bit of an idiot, to be honest. Um, and then went on to do, um, uh, I think they're called advanced level um, vocations. So they're equivalent yeah. to G's, um, A-levels. And I picked those because I knew what I wanted to do. I knew what I wanted to be around in IT. So I did yeah. that and um, did maths for the first year at AS, but dropped that in the second year because <laughs> it, it hurt my head. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, went on to university. So I got good grades, went on to university, um, studied software engineering. Um, yeah. And, yeah, got a degree in that and... Yeah, you usually you living at home still. Did you do the student experience, or you just lived at home through? Because I guess you were quite close by. Um. So what was interesting about that is I don't know. Um. How can I say this? I became quite mature after I found lost. I'm um, sorry, didn't pass my GCSEs. So I actually um stayed in London. Um. I actually had moved out from home at 16, so I had a council oh. flat. So on top of that, I was you know going to uni. But from a very young age, you know, having to pay for my bills and everything and working on top of that as well. And I actually didn't spend my maintenance grant. I actually saved that and worked through uni as much as possible. Yeah, I, I worked all through university. And like, I mean, obviously, there's some people for whatever, you know, medical conditions that can't work. But I, I think for most people, if, if you're able to work, I just, I just don't know why people don't do that. And because people saddle themselves with, with way too much debt now, you know, I mean, when I went, it was easy because it was free, you know? Um, but, but I, I still don't understand why everyone has, hasn't got jobs to university. You know, it's just, it's, it's setting yourself up for such a uphill battle in life. If you take on a lot of debt, you know, and come out of it after three years or four years of a lot of debt. I think it's that, I think it is the debt as well, but I think what it taught me was actually, balancing and actually what life was really like yeah. or that you know you're, you're going to have to do many things at one time and juggle stuff so yeah. for me it was the best decision to actually work for university it allowed me to be kind of very you know careful how I spent my time and who I gave it to yeah. um, because if I wasn't in the library I was picking up extra shifts to get through university yeah. I, um, I actually remember there was um one day I had a deadline I finished um, a 12-hour shift in um, in Canary Walk. I used to work in Marks and Spencer's and then went straight to my university library and had yeah. a nap in the library and carried on with the assignment and got in. And that's the kind of graft and grit that I actually, you know, developed. And that was from actually failing. If I trace it back, it was from failing and not wanting to ever fail again and have that taste yeah. in my mouth, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. What, what, what years were at university, by the way? I'm just thinking, because I actually worked in Canary Wharf and I used to go to that Marks and Spencer's all the time and it was in the late, 
uh, late nineties. I worked. I don't know what what university. I wonder if I've actually met you in Marks and Spencer's. <laughs> I, I, don't, I can't remember the actual, um, but it wasn't in the nineties. <laughs> Definitely no. in the in the nineties. I was still in school. Oh, you were so. still in school. Yeah. 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 Know, yeah. Was I there? No, hang on. I lose track of time completely. Maybe it was the early 2000s I worked there. I'd have to look it up. I don't know. <laughs> I lose track. It just gets so confusing with, with the change from 90s to 2000s. I just lose track yeah. of time completely. I think it would have been around 2005, 2007, I reckon. That would have been. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So so, so you, you went to university, you got, you got through that. Um, and what did you just decide you wanted to get a job for a school or were you looking at different things? So um, a mixture of things actually happened. If I just take it back to kind of university, and this is how I kind of got into teaching, was during um, university, um, I was meant to go on sandwich year, which is a placement year, essentially, in industry. And I had that all set up. Um, I was going to go and work for a networking company um, in Angel, but I had a severe epileptic attack. Um, So... I, I suffer from epilepsy. Um, I was diagnosed when I was 16, but I had a severe epileptic attack um, in university and I, I had, I think, about four repeat seizures. So I went into hospital, but when I woke up, I thought I was back in college, you know? Really? So, yeah, so university, the, the last Well, you had some like, memory loss you made, or? Yeah, memory loss, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, so the last two years um, of university were non-existent, you know. Um, so you still can't remember them to this day, can you? So that's the funny thing. When people ask me, do you remember that? I'm like, I don't know what I don't remember. You yeah. know, it's very hard to kind of say, yeah, I re- I've got everything back. Um, there are moments when people mention stuff to me and I'm like, I have no recollection of that. Don't know what you're talking about. So I couldn't fulfill my placement. I had a decision to make in that summer was to either repeat my um, second year because it was during exam period. But because I was already behind on kind of my deadline, um, because I failed my um, GCSEs, I decided no, I want to do it during the summer. So actually, um, I had to learn everything for the second year. And um, I only had to think of what was about two months for the reset period, because that's the only time I could have done it. And I learn everything i didn't pass with great um grades but it was enough for me to actually progress on to um the sandwich year and that's when i got in contact with my um old secondary school and said look i'm in this predicament would it be possible to come and do my placement year there in your networking department in your it department and they said yeah absolutely well we'd love to help you so Went to went to there to do networking. But as I was there, I kind of saw young people making the same mistakes that I had made during, you know, yeah. class, just messing about, prattling about. And I started talking to them. And the head teacher had picked up that I had a group of young boys that I would talk to at lunchtime and who would come and speak to me. And then she made it her duty during that year to get me to come into teaching because she saw something in me. She saw the rapport that I had with young people. So she offered me a job um, during the placement year to say, look, once you graduate, you've got a job. And I turned it down initially. I said, no, I'm going off into the city. I'm going to go and do, you know, software development or anything like that. And she said, okay, but I I understand that you have a business. Is that right? I was like, yep. Um, And she goes, how about if I give you 
four days um, working here and one day off, but paid at the same time as well. And I was like, that's a great, <laughs> that's a great thing. Like, yeah. didn't know what was coming out. It allowed me to continue to run my own business on the side. And so I what thought, was, yeah, we've we missed that part out. What was your business? What were you doing already? So web design and development. Right. That was that was my second business. My first business was a clothing line that um, didn't really go well. Um, that yeah. was actually me just doing it for the culture and doing whatever everyone else was doing, but it wasn't my passion at all. Yeah. And that was a good learning curve for me as well. Don't do stuff because other people are doing it. Do it because you're interested in it and it's what you want to do. Yeah, definitely. So, so you started doing websites. Was this when you were at university? You you were making websites for people, or what, what kind of stuff were you doing? So we, um, I started. I say we. We started it in college. Um, I started it with my business partner in the back of um, an A level lesson, and we came up with the idea. We started to design flyers, and then we said, "Oh, websites. Let's let's try websites." And we started to do some free websites for people, and then people actually start to approach us and say, "Look, we'll pay for you to do this." And this was right at the beginning. So we were just creating websites in HTML, hard coding them. It wasn't a CMS, so. Yeah, we yeah. self-taught ourselves to do it and yeah we were like okay we can make a bit of money from this and it's still running today it's called happy to host um and like now we work with football players schools um we've worked with sony tesco uh, just different a range of different businesses as well definitely yeah, well, well let's go we'll definitely get onto that and how, how you how you grew that in a sec but what um so how did it go of getting a school job? Did you, you said, I remember you told me you didn't do a PGC, you did some other different, there's some other way you managed to get into it. How, how did you, how did you do all that? Yeah, so I did a GTP, a graduate training program. So that allows you to work um, and train on the job as well. So you have a couple of days where you're released each term to go down to Canterbury University and, you know, do the pedagogy alongside actually actively being on the job and you'd yeah. have to collect your evidence while teaching so it i think compared to the pgc you get quite a heavy timetable from the beginning so you yeah. literally after two weeks you've got the timetable and and yeah. you're responsible for those classes you're, you're in there by yourself yeah, teaching yeah. you know and i'll never forget the kind of first day i had my class was like don't really know what I'm doing I yeah, think yeah. this is how to teach and you know I was really worried about the kids and how they respond to me but um yeah. it went all right and I think I did quite well because uh, I taught for 10 years so yeah, yeah. well so, so 10 years so during that time were you did you get other businesses on, on the go or were you just working on as I say just but were you working on growing your web hosting business but was that something you were growing in parallel or did you do anything else at the time so um, during the 10 years, I had that um, work on um, parallel, um, the web design business alongside yeah. that. And that's where that um, Friday that came in, because that was the day where I was off from school, came in to, to do that. But anyone knows who's a teacher is, you know, part-time doesn't really exist in teaching. Yeah. Because even when you're off, you're trying to play catch-up with the marking or other stuff. And yeah. I had actually become a head of faculty in the last five years. So right. even though I was off, I was getting loads of phone calls about students and other bits as well that I was doing. So actually, I actually had to adopt a way of still trying to make sure that business was growing. And the yeah. way I did that was actually waking up early. 
So yeah. I would wake up around 4.35 in order to start that, to get what needs to get done before I actually went into school. I think yeah. that's one of the biggest productivity hacks. I've only discovered this in the last year. I used to always get up, before I had kids, uh, I used to get up at like nine. I was, cause, cause, you know, I, I work for myself and, I, and I'm on a different schedule to most people. So I don't have to, unless I've got a specific meeting. Uh, but now I've got young children. Like I, I get up like, like pretty similar to you, like five o'clock. Like if I take this morning, I got up at five, took the dog out, made a coffee. And then like five till seven before the kids woke up, like I got so much work done. My, my brain is just on fire that time in the morning. And it's bang, 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 bang. I, I get out the big tasks that I normally just put off because I don't want to do them. You know, like I just get them done. And like, I, I, for me, I'm just doing it almost every day now. And that, that two hours, sometimes it's an hour and a half, like is, is the best time. But sometimes if I just did that, I'd have had a good day, you know? Absolutely. I mean, I call that like my, my magic hour because yeah. like you said, anything that's a big task or anything I know is going to be difficult and re- requires a lot of brain power, I will attack in those uh, at that time because I don't get disturbed. No, yeah. no one's really awake around that time. So it allows yeah. me to just focus on that. There's not emails coming in where I get distracted. I see that email pop in and then I move away from that task. So yeah, I, I love actually working, waking up early to get stuff done. And also it's a reward for yourself. It means it effectively you can finish it early if you wanted to, because you've actually yeah. got a lot of stuff out of the way. So yeah, that's how I, 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 try, I try to do that now. Yeah. Also with the kids, I'll quite often leave her like three, four, five, um, you know, after I've got them up, I'll go into, I've got my office, I'll come in here and stick around. But I, you know, I, I rarely work evenings now, you know, almost never. I mean, I, I quite often do stuff. If I have to do stuff, I do stuff on weekends. I mean, again, I, I mean, probably you had the same experience that like when I was starting my business, I was working like every day of the week, like something. I didn't always work a full day on the weekend. I mean, I'd, I'd regularly work full day, Saturday, full day, Sunday. Uh, but I always worked every day of the week for, for several years, you know? It's, it, it was never a, never a weekend I didn't work. I don't, I don't know what your experience was. So um, definitely worked on the weekends, um, and I still do now, but I don't work the whole day. So yeah. again, on, on a Saturday, um, I'd get up about maybe six, seven, but work until about 10, and that's it, and then kind of spend the rest of the day with family or whatever it is, or something for myself. But yeah. on Sunday evening, I like to do kind of a brain dump of like, look, what do I need to achieve in this coming week and kind of set my week up and set my calendar up. And one of the things that I've tried to get a lot better on is living by my calendar. So actually I put nearly everything I can in my calendar down to actually chill time. So that chill time is protected. Like I wouldn't have no meetings in that period. You know, I even put stuff in like going out for a walk. So I live by my calendar. If it's not in my calendar, it doesn't exist. That's kind of my yeah, yeah. I do that sometimes on a Sunday night. Like I need to do it. And I, I always like appreciate it when I do do it, you know, but it's it just getting, um, but it, I don't do it every week, you know, sometimes. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah. It's a great tip though. I, I know very productive people. I know always do that Sunday, you know, preparation for, for the, for the week ahead. Yeah. And you know, it's weird. Like I'm, I should do a lot of things, but I just hate, I hate meetings, you know, like I mean, if I've got one thing in my diary, I'm like, oh, and it's great. It's a bad thing to say, you know, because it's not a good characteristic. I really wish <laughs> I looked forward to it. Like I've got, a, I've got some in my calendar. I'm just like, oh no, I've got to do it, you know? So I think for me, if I could pile everything up Monday, Tuesday or something, that would be the best way to do it. I had loads and loads of meetings. And then a few days where I've, 
I've got some open time to do stuff, you know. It's uh, I love having open days, and I just can just like Friday of this week, for example, I've got nothing scheduled. I just work on different things, and I, I really I, that's what I enjoy the most having that kind of time, you know. No, definitely. And what I do with meetings, because I, I know what you mean that about meetings. I kind of block book my meetings, so yeah, I have to wait of like of like it might be ten to one. But after one, I might not actually have any other meetings on, on purpose. And that's yeah. to get tasks done that I necessarily wouldn't get done as well. Because I find sometimes you can go for a whole day of a meeting and then you turn around and go, what have I actually achieved for myself? You know, what yeah. have I actually done that brings the business on to the next step? You know, yeah. so that, I'm very careful with meetings and what I put in. And when. It's funny, I've got a good friend of mine. He's just, just come back to London. He's been in Seattle for many years. Very senior guy at Amazon, like top 100 people in the, in the whole of Amazon. And, and the way he works is he, he just pretty much sits in the conference room all day and he's, just, he's got two assistants. They just make meetings for him. And he actually has to schedule like 30 minutes if he wants to go out and get a sandwich or something. If he doesn't do that, his whole day for like 10 hours is just meetings, like every day. It's all he does. Like, you know, people just come in, next person comes in, next person comes in. I'm like, oh, that would drive me nuts. I, I don't think I could do that, you know? Yeah, I don't know how you process what's been going on. <laughs> like, I, I, I couldn't do it. <laughs> I couldn't do yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. But um, so so you you had the web business on the side, and you're teaching, and then at some point, I guess you decided to to go full time with with uh with, with the entrepreneurial stuff. Like, what was the transition? So you know, I talked to a lot of um teachers looking to do entrepreneurial things. You know, and I think the first thing I usually say is, look, do what you did. Like, if do this. Even if you don't get a free day, evenings and weekends, you know, because you're only going to know if you actually enjoy doing something, if you actually do it, you know, rather than just leaving your job with no income and then starting a business, I think it's definitely the best way to, to get it going and then see if, see if you enjoy it, you know. But what, what was your experience? Like, why did you decide to leave and, and what, what were you doing at the time? So, again, it was another interesting one there. So I had been thinking about it, um, but if I'm going to be completely honest, I was scared to take the jump. Yeah. And, you know, that there was always something, I say in quotations, that was holding me back, you know. But it wasn't really, you know. It was maybe I've got a promotion. Every time I mentioned I want to go and do this full-time, I said, look, we've got this for you here. But actually what allowed me or made me leave teaching in the end was actually my health. Yeah. So I had a severe epileptic attack, another one. Um, and this is different from university now. Um, and that was about maybe about six, seven years ago. And this is the worst one that I've ever had. Um, so it was on the last day of term. Um, and I was in my office and w was feeling a bit dizzy and then collapsed. But on the way down to collapse and having my attack, I hit um, my neck on my, an oak desk in my office. Oh, wow. So, so, yeah, so I had, I think they said about 10 attacks back to back. And, um, did someone call an ambulance pretty quick? Did someone see it happening? Yeah, so one of the way uh, people saw it happening when I was walking past my office and um, they, they alerted a member of staff. And, um, yeah, so had to go to hospital A&E, um, was in a neck brace, you know, and everything, had to be sedated. Um, to to stop the attacks. But when I came back round, um, I couldn't feel my legs. So this mm -hmm. is like maybe a couple of, this is maybe the next day. Woke up and look, really confused, but 
that's normal with, with my attacks. But what wasn't normal is I couldn't feel my legs. And um alerted my um wife um to say this is what it was. Doctors came around, they were unsure what had happened. Um and then I never forget how scared I was to ask the doctor to go, right, will I be able to walk again? Will I feel them again? I, I didn't do it for a couple of days because I was scared of the answer. And when I finally plucked up the courage to to ask the doctor, um, he said, look, we take it one day at a time. And basically when you hear one day at a time, being in hospitals enough is we don't know essentially, you know, yeah, yeah. and let's not worry about that. So it was for about four days, I couldn't, three to four days, I couldn't feel my legs. And then I think on the fourth day, a feeling came back in my legs, in my lower legs, but it came back from a vengeance in terms of it came back with the most excruciating pain that I've, you know, never experienced. I just don't even know how to describe it. The closest yeah. thing I can say to it is someone taking a chisel and a hammer and repeatedly knocking on your knees, like, like you could move. You, you realize that you could actually feel your legs. I guess at this point, I guess that's some small. Yeah, could, yes, yeah. So I could feel my legs. Yeah, but <laughs> how the feeling came back in them was the yeah. worst feeling ever, and it just kept on feeling like someone had taken a chisel um, to my leg. So um, it took me basically, I think, about a year to fully walk again. So I had to learn how to re um, rewalk. I was in hospital for just under two months um, and I was in the high dependency unit, you know, at Guy's Hospital. And anytime I mention this, I have to say a big thank you to all the staff at Guy's Hospital. Um, they put up with me and did an amazing job. And I mean, the severity of when I looked around on that ward, I had two nurses for the majority of my time and oh. I could not do anything. You know, I was relying on them to help me to, to the bathroom, to the toilet. Yeah, it, it was probably... Not probably, I'm going to be very clear here. It was the most trying and hardest time of my life. Yeah. So going back to your question, Dan, I went back to school. Eventually, the school was very supportive. Um, I did a phase return to work. But I found that I was out of school more than I was in school. Yeah. And, you know, I felt like I was doing a disservice to the young people that I was um, teaching so I decided to leave on that basis and, you know, hadn't, didn't really have any plans, but said, you know what, I've got a business, I'm going to throw myself into it and just see where we go with it, essentially. So sometimes, you know, you take that leap of faith, but to be honest, my, my condition pushed me off that diving board and said, you know what, yeah, yeah. go for it. So, so that's how I started for time. That's great. Yeah, that's a crazy story. I didn't, I didn't know that. I didn't know that story. That's what's great about his podcast. You, you talk to people you already know, but you'd find out a lot of stuff you didn't even know about them, you know? Mm -hmm. What, um, because like often the common route, if like a teacher or someone who works for a school becomes an entrepreneur, they, they do something related to education. And obviously now, you know, I've worked with you a lot. You're doing a lot of education stuff, but it sounded like in the beginning, it wasn't education related. You did the state of a web hosting, the business you already had, and it was something completely different. Is, is that right? Yeah, um, so yes, it was completely different. But what I found was in that last year of um, teaching at the school, I became responsible for, you know, ICT across the curriculum and stuff like that. And I'd taken my school down the Google journey. So while I was doing the web design, I thought, actually, I've got a skill set here already. I've got a network as well. 
how could I also also utilize that skill alongside what I'm doing? Because I also wanted to be involved yeah. in education somehow. And that's when I actually went to a boot camp, actually, um, the first time where I met Ben Rouse and where I actually discovered um, apps events. And was that one of did, our boot camps, was it? Yeah. It was one oh, of right. I didn't realize yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. And because I'd been to the back to school stuff, but um, did the boot camp and did my level one. And I think um, I, I definitely know I was annoying Ben. I was that guy in, in, in the session who just kept on putting his hand up and asking questions like, but why? Why do we do this? And why do we do that? And yeah, he took it in good stead. He actually then challenged me to go, okay, you know, you could go and do your level one. Why not do your level two? Why not do your trainer? Um, and do what I'm doing essentially. So yeah, that's how I was able to kind of get into kind of the ed tech world as well. Um, alongside the web design business. Interesting. Yeah, I um, I did my. I was one of the first. I mean, there's, there's some dispute as to who was the first certified trainer in Europe. But I, I, I've I've got a claim, and there's a few other people got a claim. But I was I was one of the top first three, you know, ever to become a trainer, and it was um, very interesting, you know. And that I, I credit that with all the things I've done since. You know, it was a small thing becoming a Google trainer. But I, I was interested in Google for education, but didn't know that much about it. And now, you know. I've, done all this other stuff. And I think, you know, you, you can kind of write your own script. That's what I like about entrepreneurship. You know, if you find something you're good at, you can just you can take you down a path and you can do a lot of different stuff, which is, that's what, that's kind of a magic of it. It's also the stress of it because, you know, you never know where it's going to go. You've got no pension, you've got no anything, you know, but it is the, the thing I like about it. Uh, absolutely. And I'll be honest with you, when I left teaching, um, it took me probably a year to find myself properly and like what I wanted to do alongside the web design because the web design was doing okay but it wasn't making a significant amount of money and yeah. I, I was getting to the point where I was like well I'm running out of money here and I think that's the one bit that sometimes isn't shown to people because everyone's like oh I'm gonna be an entrepreneur you know but actually the fear and you know laying awake at night thinking right I need to make more money in order to cover my bills and stuff like yeah. that is what sometimes people don't showcase. So there was trying times, believe me. But again, once you get through it and you look back at it, it's everything that's made me to this point. You know, I don't yeah. regret it at all, you know. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I get asked all the time about entrepreneurship and should I do it? And it's just an impossible thing to answer because like, I, it's definitely not for everybody. Like it's absolutely, there's a lot of people who should just do a job, you know, but there's a lot of people who shouldn't do a job and, and there's a lot of people who maybe should do a job part-time and do a, a side hustle, you know, and it's, it's really hard to say. And I, I don't know what advice to give other than just try and do something. And if you, if you, if you manage to do something, even if it doesn't make you any money, uh, then maybe, maybe you could do it. I, I don't know what advice you've got to people who want to do entrepreneurial stuff. Cause do you think it's for everyone or do you think, you think it's, it's for a certain type of person or can you, can you become that person? I think it's for a certain type of person. I think you can become that person as well. But the thing I would say is get comfortable with failing. Like, you know, get get comfortable with it. Embrace it. Um, because I think a lot of people go, I've got an idea. Right, it's going to make loads of money. It's going to happen. And there's going to be so many setbacks. And I think what kind of separates the entrepreneurs or the ones who, who actually make it or on the way to making it is they don't give up on the first hurdle. They yeah. don't get disheartened, you know, when, when a certain part of the idea isn't executed, it's actually yeah. 
taking what you can learn from that and taking a step back and going again. So I would suggest to anyone who's thinking about it is a get a mentor, you know, yeah. research the industry that you want to go into. And I say, make sure you enjoy what you're doing because there's going to be yeah. times where you're up late at night, up early in the morning thinking, why am I doing this? And yeah. the reason why is what will keep you going. If you can identify this is the passion and this is why I'm up here. Like anything yeah. I do is just actually in 10 years time, I'm hoping my life will be a lot more easier. And I'd rather do the hard work now than be at 60 struggling with life. That, that's just my mindset, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I was I, I was similar. I think now of a stage I'm at, because I'm a bit older than you, obviously. I think, like, I, I don't actually think... I ever want to retire. I mean, I might want to do different things, but I, I just, I'm just someone, I have to do something. I have to have things to do. So I'm thinking now to try to like, cause, cause, cause that's the case, you know, I'm not, I'm never going to retire. I don't think, but I'm trying to like spread the retirement through my life. So I'm trying to sort of have like take, you know, Fridays off, maybe do three, four day weekends sometimes take more free time. And then, you know, so I've got the energy to do it, but that was different. Like when I was your age, I was just working like seven days a week, but now I'm at like, I've, I've kind of thought about it and, I just don't, I don't just want to play golf. I mean, I like playing golf and doing, you know, hiking and doing, you know, all these things, but I don't want to do that every day of the week, you know? So I, I've discovered that as long as I'm like mentally and physically able, I'm, I'm always going to work, you know, which is kind of, that, that was quite a recent discovery. I think until recently, I always thought I would retire. Now I'm like, I just know that's not going to happen. As long as I can work, I'm still going to do something, you know? And it might be a nonprofit. It might be something different, but I'm going to be doing something, you know? Uh, I, I totally agree with that. I, I'm a long way from retirement, but the way I look at it is I think the moment in my head, for me personally, is the moment I kind of retire is like, it's just where kind of I'm just putting a stop to life for me personally. I think there's so many things that I could go and do. It, it, it changes, like you said, it might not be that a seven day energy that you need to do. But like one of the things that I'm currently working on is just a guy on um, foundation. And I certainly see once I've established the other businesses and they're running independently of themselves is that's what I would put my whole time into. And that is a nonprofit that works with um, underserved communities in the UK. So I think it's about finding, again, what is that new passion? I think people say you need to find one passion and stick to that passion. A passion evolves, it changes over yeah. the years as you change as a person, you know? What, um, so yeah, talk about the foundation. Like, I mean, first of all, obviously, you know, you're working with young people. Justaguy.co.uk is a website. It's, it's really, really good website. Like, how, like, I'm just logistically, like, have you incorporated it as like as a, as a nonprofit, as a foundation? Do you, do you have to do that from day one? Or can you, if someone wants to do something like this, can you just start doing it? And if there's no money involved in the beginning, you don't need to register? Or how, how does that all work? So when I first started that out, it was just literally a blog, Dan. It, it, yeah. it wasn't an, a foundation. It wasn't a corporation. It was just literally set up to document my recovery from um, that um, epileptic attack I talked about um, a couple yeah. of moments ago. But um, people reached out to me, saw my story, and said, look, could you come into our school and speak to our young pupils? Could you speak to our members of staff, like motivation? And I think that's where the imposter syndrome at came in because of like, why they reached out to me to come and motivate their members of staff and young people. But 
people found my story or, or what I've been through in my life inspiring and they said that should be shared. So I then kind of took it away from being a blog and going, I should really enjoy this. I, I, I yeah. do want to work with young people. I'm really getting something from this. So um, that's when I turned it into a social enterprise. And it's only in the last year that it's now been incorporated. So it's a CIC, it's a community interest um, company um, yeah. that's non for non-profits. So any profits that we actually generate from it is reinvested into helping our community people to drive their own social mobility. So that's happened because money started to exchange because before it was just me doing it free of yeah, charge. So yeah. But actually, organizations have now come to us and said, look, could you help us, you know, meet young people that actually that we're not getting to? And I think particularly after the George Floyd murder, um, companies looked at themselves and actually said, are we doing enough? And I think a lot of companies said, no, we're not. So that's where I've now come in as kind of being a middle, um, an intermediary, you know, untapped talent as well yeah um and that's not just young people that's adults as well from underserved communities so that's what the foundation does now and like we have a clear kind of mission now in terms of we do mentoring we we do skills workshops so anyone can come on and say look i want to i want to give back i want to do a 30 minute talk to young people about the certain skills that i use in my industry and yeah. we've done a range of things from careers fairs you know, a step up with digital skills as well. And we've got loads of plans for 2021, 2022. Are you focusing on kids from like, sort of like working class, like poor, lower income? What I grew up with in Yorkshire, you see, that's obviously the people from those communities always have the different, the, the hardest time increasing. Obviously, people are like, you know, black people, Asian people have it, but, but also white people, if, if they're from that background, it's, it's hard for them. Is, is that kind of a community you, you, you focus on with your foundation? Yeah, so yeah, it's from, for pupils or young people from lower income families. Yeah. It's also looking at geographically as well of where they're based, you yeah. know, because um, postcode lottery, you could be somewhere and not actually get tapped into in terms yeah, of the talent yeah. that you have as well. And also, it's the mindset of people who are successful and are doing well. And when you speak to them, is that they had a network, you know? Yeah, that's true. And they had, they had a range of people that they could go and speak to who could actually say to you, you know, actually, do it this way. Think about doing it that way, you know? And I think that's the probably one of the biggest things that hold people back is they they're too big in their pond, you know? They don't see people that are actually doing it because if I take myself living in Bermondsey at that time, well, Bermondsey's really expensive now, but during yeah. that time, anyone who did do really well disappeared. Why yeah. did they disappear? It's because they made enough money. What you're now seeing is, oh, I'm believing in faith. You know, almost everyone's saying, work hard, do this, do this at uni, do this at school. But you can't actually see someone who's actually done it. So what you're actually relying on is blind faith. 
you know? Yeah, yeah. Because like, if I just take my mum, for example, she would say to me, make sure you read your books, make sure you do really well in uni and stuff like that. But my mum had never done it, you know? Yeah. Or I had an uncle who had a master's and a PhD, but wasn't in a great job and was really struggling for money. So yeah. if everyone's telling you to go and do well in school, you're like, but I look around at me, the people that have done it, it so why should i do it yeah yeah definitely yeah that's a good point yeah the mentors is like you said before it's such a key key thing you know and 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 i think people should have multiple mentors you know and it changes different times but people i you know what i find as well is like it's amazing how willing people are to help when you actually ask them but most people especially someone from like a lower income background like especially a kid they just wouldn't have a confidence to to thing but what they'd actually be surprised is how much people do want to help if they actually contact them. That's what I think. Definitely. And I even go back to the point, I loved what you just said there actually, was about multiple mentors. Yeah, We all have mentors. But I think when we put the term, yeah, it's, exactly. almost going, it's almost going, Dan, will you be my mentor? It's almost going to you, will you marry me, Dan? You know, yeah. will you be my mentor? It's so formal, yeah. right? And, you, and that person yeah. who you want to be your mentor is like, this is a commitment. Right. Yeah, what yeah, do exactly. I need to do? So, so they get a bit worried about that. But actually, by saying to someone, actually, could I just pick your ear about this? You know, could I just get your thoughts on this? That is actually the mentoring process happening, you know, exactly. because they're actually explaining what they've been through and what to kind of avoid. So, yeah. yeah so. That, that's good. So, Lawrence, so we're probably getting close to time now. That's super interesting. So, what, um, you know, one thing I was, I was curious about, well, you mentioned like you were doing websites for premiership footballs and stuff. Like how, how did you, you were working with, like, how did you meet all these people? Was it, because you mentioned you had a business partner, but you never really went into that. Like that's a friend, you said he was a friend of yours, but like, do you have different responsibilities? And is he the one with these connections or how did you end up like meeting all these famous people? So my business partner, Emmanuel, um, he is in charge of like technical development and everything. Yeah. So I used to program. I don't program as much as I used to. I was actually responsible for going out and getting the contracts and the network. Yeah. And it would just be at different events where I would network and I just wouldn't be afraid to go and speak to anyone. Yeah. So I remember being at an event and someone said, oh, um, that's Raheem Sterling's agent. So I went over to him and spoke to him and um, built up a rapport with him. And then he introduced me to his clientele. And then what I found with footballers, if you do one, a lot of them will come to you. Yeah, you yeah. Know? So getting that first one, the other footballers came to us as well. Um, and then you've also got your other celebrities. But a funny thing about that, and what I learned from that is, celebrities are great, you know, to have on them for kind of, commercial and marketing but they're not our biggest clients in terms of actual actual paying a lot lot of them want want things cheap because they know their value to you as a as a name you know yeah and and you know we don't mind it's that balance that playoff and and that's where it comes to business like actually if i do it for this discounted price yeah what is going to be my payoff you know in terms of how is that paid forward But that's what I just say for a young person or anyone thinking about that is never give anything of your services for free. You know, there has to be a trade-off because the moment you do that, you're undervaluing yourself, you know? Well, I'd I'd say like, 
Yeah, I, you're right. You, uh, but I mean, I think there are times you should do things for free, but I think you're saying the same thing. Like, but, you, but there's got to be a benefit down the line. You've got to see, well, I'm doing this for free, but I can get this, you know, because I've done tons of stuff for free. Um, some of it I shouldn't have done, but the stuff, some stuff really paid off to other things, you know. I think that's what you're saying. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, just to make that clear, is if you're doing it for free, you've got to think, what is the payoff? And that's why I say don't do it for free or just like, okay, they've come and they've said, right, I, I'm whoever do it for me, is actually, what can you get out of that? So say, for example, if you've got a footballer that comes to you, this is me just using an example here, and they say, can you do my website for free? Okay, maybe I could do it because they're the hot property at the moment. But if I'm going to do it for free, the name of my company needs to be on your website. You need to do a couple of social media posts for me. You know? yeah. So yeah, it's, it's not great. free because, because actually they're marketing you. They might have 3 million followers. Yeah, it's not yeah. free. And to pay for someone to do that, companies pay thousands of pounds for, for people with followers to repost them. So that's what I mean in terms of free is always think about what you are going to get from this situation. And actually, is it going to help you? Yeah. Lawrence, it's a great place to finish. Um, thanks very much for, for the chat. We should definitely do it again. If you're on for it, we'll, we'll do another. I'm, I think, I'm sure I'll think of a bunch more things we can talk about. Um, definitely. What, where should people find you online? Like, where are you most active? Like, Twitter, LinkedIn, like, blog? What, what, where's the best place? So, the best place to find me online um, is just a guy underscore LT. And that's across all social media platforms, such as Instagram, um, Twitter, Facebook. And just keep on checking back at justaguy.co.uk. And also for web design and um, branding, is happy, the number two host. Um, LTD across all social media and you'll be able to find us. Great. Lawrence, pleasure to talk. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me.